Welcome to The Good Mood Show with Matt O'Neill. This is the show to help you navigate the challenging moods we all experience as human beings and where you will learn the best strategies to feel the good moods and good vibes we all love to feel. Because when you feel like your best self, you are your best self. This is The Good Mood Show. Now, here's your host, Matt O'Neill. Welcome to The Good Mood Show. I'm your host, Matt O'Neill. Be sure to hit subscribe so that you get a good mood every single week. And today we are talking with alcohol freedom coach, Lily Weiss. Lily's gonna talk about the research that debunks this myth that alcohol adds fun to our lives. She's also gonna talk about how getting freedom from alcohol doesn't have to be miserable. Lily, welcome to the show. Oh, Matt, thank you. I am so excited to be here. I've been waiting for this all week. I'm excited to have you here today and have this really important conversation. Uh, I have been alcohol-free for over three years. And I remember the day that I made the choice to just give it a shot. It was actually on a a conversation with my buddy, Steve Gill, who's um, a coach of mine. And Steve said, hey, Matt, why don't you just try it for 10 days? And I remember thinking, that doesn't sound possible, Steve, and, uh, and giving it a shot for 10 days. But we'll, we'll talk about um, your journey with becoming alcohol-free and maybe your journey before and, and also some of mine as well. And um, look, if you're just curious about what, what it could look like to take a break from alcohol, or maybe you, you know that you should take a break, uh, Lily has a free gift for you. It's her Find Freedom from Alcohol quiz. If you want to overcome alcohol but are feeling stuck, you'll be able to take a three-minute quiz and get all the answers that you need. Um, and if you're already a subscriber to the Good Mood Show newsletter, I'm going to email that quiz out to you this week. And if you're not, no worries. Just go to goodmoodshow.com and subscribe to that newsletter, and we'll send you the quiz or just reach out to us on our contact page. So, Lily, let's get into it. Before you found freedom from alcohol... How is it affecting your life? Oh, what a great question. It was making my life sad and small. Mm. One of the many myths I like to debunk is this rock bottom myth that you're going to, you have to hit rock bottom before you stop drinking. And that is such a mistake because the real true only rock bottom is when you're dead because it can always get worse. (laughs) And there's a, uh, I know that I don't know what your view of someone who was an alcoholic, and I, I'm putting that words in air quotes because I no longer use that word. I I thought someone who was an alcoholic was someone who had no willpower, someone who loved alcohol more than they loved their family. They were probably ethically suspect, <laughs> immoral, lazy all of those things. And the truth is that it's alcohol use disorder and it's a spectrum. And you can have it in a mild case. If you're someone who is drinking every day, you're probably on the alcohol use disorder spectrum, but in a very low level. And then that top 10% are the people who are physically addicted that need medical supervision to get off of alcohol. 
So I was in the middle and we like to call that gray area drinking. I have a very healthy marriage. I have a healthy body still, thankfully, even with the the amount of alcohol that I was drinking, I was exercising regularly. But what was happening is the joy was leaking out of my life. And so I found myself sitting in my living room in this white chair, drinking a bottle of wine a night, thinking that if I quit, I'd never have fun again. And yet I was having no fun. And I'm like, what is this? How is this possible? So I thought, because I'm a very disciplined, intelligent woman who's never had, when I put my mind to something, it happens. It may take years, but it happens. So I thought, fine, I'll stop. And man, I couldn't. Mm. I just couldn't. And then every t- I could stop for a month or I could stop for six months or I could stop for a few days, but it always came back. And every time I came back to drinking, I was drinking a little more. So this happened over about a five-year period. And I went from drinking a half a bottle of wine a night to a bottle of wine a night and just thinking, I was getting desperate. Like, this is no fun. And I have no idea how to get out of it. So, you know, you've brought up a very interesting thing here. And that is we've we've been brainwashed by society and media to think that fun and alcohol are synonymous and that we can't have fun without alcohol because what are you going to do? You're going to be at this party and you're not going to be holding a drink. That's going to feel super awkward. And then everyone's going to look at you and stare at you. And, uh, they're, they're all going to call you a party pooper and, and, and wonder what's wrong with you and then wonder what's wrong with themselves. I, this was what I was going through when I'm like, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop drinking, but I'm not going to have any more fun. I guess I'll just have to give up having fun in order to stop drinking. Well, you know, what does the research show us about the link between fun and alcohol? Oh, it's a brilliant. And you, you are so right. And so many of my clients say the same things. And I wasn't even going out anymore. The end of it was COVID. I was just sitting at home, not having fun with alcohol. So I'm going to give a quick science lesson but it's going to be easy and you can ignore any of the big words. So what happens when we take a drink of alcohol is that it hits our brain's reward center and we get this giant hit, like unnaturally high hit of dopamine. And dopamine is the neurotransmitter of more. Dopamine, that's why it makes you so happy. We need dopamine to survive as humans. When we were hunters, gatherers, if we found something like a berry that was sweet and sustained life, we'd get a dopamine hit that would tell us do more of the berries. So this alcohol hits your reward center, giant 20 minute buzz. And you'll notice This is a little thought experiment for everyone out there who is a drinker. You will notice you only get that buzz during the first drink. You get drunk. You get silly. You get all those things. But the buzz only happens on the first drink. And it lasts 20 minutes. And this is because our brain does not like to be out of balance. So now it's the reward center's gone crazy. And your brain is saying, "Uh uh-uh. No way, 
We need to just put the brakes on this. And so for the next three hours, it dumps out neurotransmitters and hormones that don't feel good. So now you're getting cortisol, adrenaline, dynorphin. And this is why I say that thinking that alcohol is going to bring you joy is like borrowing joy from a loan shark. Yes, you get that initial cash, but the interest is a bummer. So you have just traded this 20 minutes of more joy than your brain's supposed to have for three hours of downer. And what's happening behind the scenes in your animal brain is, this is why the first the first drink buys the second drink. You've now got this cortisol going on in your brain and, and the dynorphin and the adrenaline, and it doesn't feel good. And your subconscious says, a good idea. That drink just made me feel better. And so it asks for another drink. And this is why so many people find themselves with a second drink in their hand. They swore they weren't going to have any drinks in their hand. And then the first one gets there. And then the second one gets there and the third one gets there. And they're thinking, I, I don't know how that happened. Yeah. And it's it's all happening behind the scenes. And that is the the tax you're paying. And Brene Brown says this amazing thing. You cannot selectively numb. And it's so brilliant in that alcohol numbs everything. It numbs your taste buds. It numbs your hearing. It numbs your ability to feel. You know, we get all wobbly. That's why, you know, pain relief, right? Have a drink for the pain relief. Well, you can't selectively do that. So it is also numbing your ability to have joy. So if you are a regular drinker, which I was a daily drinker, what's going on is your brain's getting this hit of dopamine giant hit of dopamine and it's going to start saying oh i better turn off my natural dopamine because i'm getting too much so you have literally turned off your body's ability to produce the joy chemicals wow this is uh really interesting because um that hit of dopamine that you get from that drink is so massive that it's even bigger than if you did something exceptional at work Oh, yes. So yes. we could work our freaking tails off for six months on a giant goal. And achieving the giant goal that we worked so hard for, we get hits of dopamine for doing that big achievement that we worked our tails off for. But it cannot compete with the dopamine that's released from having a drink that later that night. So all of a sudden, like doing great things that were designed, like that this dopamine was really designed for, all of a sudden don't even feel that great. It's like, oh yeah, I did that. I did that at work. Okay, that was all right. Or like we have this incredibly magic moment with our family and our kids. And again, dopamine mm -hmm. from all the connection and, uh, and all these positive things. And yet it pales in comparison to, I, you know, you could even be sitting there at this beautiful sunset with your family, like fantasizing about when you can go grab a drink so that you can actually feel good. Right, right. And, and part of what we're learning in the research is that your ability to produce the dopamine naturally is going away. So it's not just that you're not feeling it from those things. It's, it's because you're not producing it. 
Mm. The, the big, the sitting with your family at the sunset is no longer producing dopamine in your body. Which is why I'm, which is why I'm craving to go get a drink and end this yes. silly time. Like, let's just speed this up. Okay, kids, it's good. Sun- you see the sunset? Okay, let's head back home so dad can grab a drink. And I used to think it was this big social thing. Like, oh yeah, alcohol helps me be more social so I can connect more. What I ultimately found myself doing was getting more and more and more selfish. It was less about connecting with others and more about just connecting with myself and the buzz. And so it wasn't a social thing for me. It was a selfish thing. And I found myself becoming more and more withdrawn the more and more I drank. And that's what one of these myths I think about alcohol is that it's, we need it for social, it enhances social interaction. I, I think it just makes us like crawl more into ourselves as we feel the effects of the drug. Absolutely. And and the science backs that up. So neuroscience in the last 20 years, I I believe it's with the the MRIs that they can do now where we can see what lights up our brain. It's just brought this research so much further, faster. And what you're saying is absolutely true. Alcohol breaks connection. Gabor Mate says the opposite of addiction is connection. And I have a girlfriend who's um, alcohol-free now, and her hardest thing to give up was she thought that she needed the excuse of alcohol to be vulnerable to have those deep girlfriend conversations. Right. Like she'd throw down with her sister and they'd have some drinks and they'd complain about the kids or the parents or or the whatever. And would you watch people who are drinking have those conversations. What you will notice, here's another experiment. I love these experiments. Go out and not drink socially for a night and see the connections going on because they're not. People are talking over themselves. They're repeating. They're getting louder. There's no connection going on. There's no vulnerability happening there. It's the fear of being vulnerable that keeps us from connection. And we think alcohol is going to solve that problem. And it just absolutely doesn't. We just got to woman up and, and be vulnerable if we want connection in our life. So uh, interestingly enough, last night, um, we're, uh, we were coming home from getting ice cream. I took uh, my brother came, flew into town for a work conference and uh, in he took us all out for ice cream and he, his job is one where he sees uh, a lot of people who've suffered from drug addiction and he's seen more deaths from fentanyl than he's ever seen in his career. And so we were talking with our kids last night about how drugs are extremely dangerous right now, more dangerous than they were when Katie and I were coming up through high school. And, um, and then my, you know, my, my daughter was like, well, what about having a drink? And I said, well, that's, you know, it's probably not as dangerous for you. Fentanyl isn't usually just dropped into beers. And then she asked me, dad, why don't you drink alcohol? And, and I, and I'd kind of forgotten what the reason, the initial reason was that I stopped. And then it came to me, I initially, the reason I took that 10 day challenge from Steve was we were heading on a family vacation with my wife's family to the beach. We were going to Myrtle Beach 
and we it was an annual trip. We went every year, and every year it was sit on the beach with a cooler of beer between us, smoking cigars every day for seven days in a row. And I would come back just riddled with anxiety, like just massive anxiety. And I just didn't want to feel that way. And I'm telling Steve about it. I'm like, man, like I, I don't really feel like going on this trip because of the way I feel when I get back. And he said, don't do it. Go, go and don't have a drink. I'm like, dude, you have no idea. That's the point of the trip. What am I going to do? Sit there on the beach and, and hold a water? Like this, like that is not, that is not this trip. And, uh, and that's, that's this, that's the trouble here is like picturing what life could look like without alcohol. So what is the secret to, um, to getting over that hump, to getting over this, uh, myth that we have to hold a drink to fit in? You, you raised two questions in there and I'm going to answer this one. And then I would like to circle back and talk about the health repercussions of alcohol, because that's huge. Um, we use alcohol to solve problems. And, and the problem it's solving that you're talking about right now is having fun. And we think it's the shortcut to having fun. And what happens is we rely on it solely to have fun, and we lose our ability to generate fun ourselves. Happiness is a skill. Anybody can learn it. There's podcasts on it. There's free courses on it. You know, it, it's and what you're talking about there is people have lost their skill. They probably had it as children to find joy themselves, to create it themselves. And there is the physical reason why we lost that, that we've already gone over, is that the alcohol is numbing our joy. And the solution is to open up your mind to the possibility. We can't just say, be Pollyanna and say, you know, I call it toxic positivity and just make this bold statement. I'm going to be fun without alcohol. I'm going to have fun without alcohol. If you don't believe it, it's not going to happen. But what I can promise you is, if you believe you're never going to have fun without alcohol, that will happen. So what we need to do is open the door to the possibility of, just like your friend suggested, try it. Maybe it will be fun. Just go see. And there is a period of time when it, for people who are weekly drinkers, if you're having probably more than seven drinks in a week, maybe it's on, just on the weekends or maybe it's one a night, whatever. You're going to have a period of time when you're not giving your body the dopamine hit from the alcohol and you're not able to produce it yourself yet. And that's an uncomfortable couple of weeks. And what you have to do is just kind of have a plan for those two weeks for how you're going to maintain your zen throughout that and then give your body time to repair and give it a shot. And my clients always come to the conclusion that life without it is more fun. Hey, if you love to stay in good moods as much as I do, be sure to hit the subscribe button on the Good Mood Show podcast. That way we can get you a good mood every single week. And look, if you know someone else that could use a good mood, share the show with them. Send them a text message. Let them know about the Good Mood Show and let's brighten up the world. Well, let's talk about 
uh, some practical things. Uh, how how could the person listening picture themselves being comfortable in a social situation without having a drink in their hand? That is such a great question. And there is the emotional work and then there is the tactical work. And the, the tactics can be quite simple. Um, one of my favorite tactics is a, a plan, a buddy, and an excuse. So what tends to happen with behavioral change, and this has been studied a lot lately too, is that the old model was we would, you want to make a change, you want to quit drinking, what do you do? Quit drinking. <laughs> and then when it doesn't work, you beat yourself up, and get you, know, you shame yourself, and then you try again the next day, the willpower, you know, honest to God, if that worked, people would be able to stop drinking very quickly. Right. I know I tried it for years. The way to have lasting change is actually through positive emotion. And so this is studied by Dr. B.J. Fogg out of Stanford. And so what that looks like is you make your plan, you get your knowledge together, you start lasting change with knowledge. What do I need to learn about alcohol and socializing that's going to make this change easier? And then instead of the shame cycle, we're going to have you either stayed alcohol-free or you learned something. So you have to go to the event with a commitment to not drink. We all know that we'll see what happens means I'm going to have the drink. Right. And that's fine, right? If you're going to have the drink, just own it. Have the drink, learn something from it. Great. I'm fine with that. What's not helpful is not making a decision, having the drink, and then beating yourself up. That doesn't so help, what I'm, yeah. I'm suggesting is make the commitment, make a plan. What are you going to drink instead? What are you going to say to your host or the people asking? Some people, if it's at a bar, they like to go early so that they can get there and have their whatever mocktail ordered in advance. And so for the rest of the night, they just say one more. Nobody even knows. Some people like to say, you know, I'm on antibiotics or, you know, whatever. You can just get to lie. Say whatever you want. It's nobody's business. So you make your plan. What are you going to drink? If it's too much for you, have an excuse prepared. Oh, babysitter called. She's dying. Got to go. You know, you know, whatever excuse you need to have. <laughs> It, you know, and, in advance. Uh, and and so that if if you're like, yeah, and this is to just get out of the situation because you feel like the situation is going to make your life even worse is if you stay and have this drink is to just is to just leave. I so I remember very early when I first started to be alcohol free, I was really concerned about this. Like, how <laughs> will people how will people? People who always know me as having a beer with them, how are they going to feel when I don't? And am I going to make them feel awkward? And then are they going to pressure me? And like just all of the, I would do this future pacing of what's it going to be like all the time before all these events, kids' birthday parties, right? Like this just a, every single event felt like this pressure of what am I going to do about this? And so for me, uh, I wanted to order something just like you're saying. So I would want to have something that looks like an alcohol drink 
maybe it's a non-alcoholic beer, which was a go-to for me, or it was uh, some type of a soda water or something like that that also looked like an alcohol drink. So I could just hold a drink and just be normal with everyone without them thinking about it or asking me about it or me having to talk about it or, hey, why did you stop? Or did you know, I didn't want questions. Did you have problems? You know, I just wanted to avoid all of it and just be out there incognito having fun. And, uh, and, and now that it's been a few years, uh, it, that is never an issue for me at this point, but it was certainly in the very, very beginning. And now, as I say, um, no, I, I, I'm not having a drink or I don't drink. It's crazy. It's like this point in time, there are more people who don't drink than ever in my life. Yeah. The number of people who are alcohol free has gone up. I don't, I mean, this is your field, but I just, from my vantage point, it seems like it's triple quadruple what it was when I was a kid. The kids are not drinking as much and the, the alcohol sales, I mean, we don't know how many people were drinking, but the alcohol sales got much higher at the beginning of COVID and people were locked down. I mean, Liquor stores were considered an essential service, for heaven's sakes. Right, of course. So I think that there is there is a revolution happening. And we are saying, you know, I'm loud and proud. Like, I am alcohol-free, and it has been life-changing and joyful for me. There's a myth that if you are a drinker, you're always going to suffer from the desire to drink. And therefore, you're going to have to stop doing the things, the people, everything that you love to stay away from it because it would be too dangerous. And that does not have to be true. The work that I do changes our desire state. If you don't desire to drink, it's not hard to not drink. I mean, I don't desire to put a hot poker in my eye. It's... I. I don't wake up every morning and fight the urge. But in the, the beginning, though, the urge was strong. It, it, it can in, be. In it the beginning for be, me, yeah. the urge was strong and the habitual pull of that dopamine hit. And as soon as it was Thursday night, as soon as it was Friday night, as soon as it was the pool party, like just all being in the habitual places that that were drinking places, the habitual time of week, I could feel my body saying, well, this is the time that I have the drinks. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it, it was really strong. So in the beginning I had the desire to, and it, that lasted for months, maybe a year. And what we know now about addiction can shorten that quite a bit. So, and it, it really depends upon where you are once again on the alcohol use disorder spectrum. Um, but having the knowledge that, that urge that you're getting, if you know what urges are, and you have tactics in place for dealing with those urges, it's so much easier. We're af- If we're afraid of them, then they get bigger and bigger and bigger. And if we're afraid to have, and I'm putting this in quotes, air quotes, a relapse, then that gets bigger and bigger and bigger. So in my work, we don't have relapses. We have alcohol-free days and we have lessons. And you don't go back to day one. So if if you drank, if last week you drank seven out of seven days and this week you drank two out of seven days, what I'm going to say to you 
is your five days alcohol-free and two lessons. And you get to count the lessons if you learned something. Gosh, why did I drink that day? Not what's wrong with me, why did I drink? But mm. what was going on? Everything, everything you just said is so much grace. I just love the way you teach. We have, we don't go back to day one. I no. love, I love that. I also love alcohol-free days and lessons. Yes. The other thing that I will find sometimes is it when I'm choosing to be alcohol-free, which is my choice now. And I, I stopped saying, will this be my forever choice? It was also something that was bugging me of like, well, will I not have a champagne toast at my daughter's wedding? Or, you know, this like, is this forever? I just stopped worrying about what forever meant. Mm -hmm. That that was just too much pressure. It was just, I'm choosing to be alcohol-free right now. That's really all I can choose. And, uh, but then sometimes people would, will say, oh yeah, you know, I'm thinking of stopping. And I, I've stopped engaging in those conversations because I, uh, too hard because I do, you know, then I feel a little bit awkward when they don't stop. And I know that the last time we saw each other, they were saying that they were going to stop. And I will like, was talking about all the benefits of it. And then I never, and then I, I just don't want people to feel bad about their own choices. I like to open every one of my conversations with, I have no judgment. I am a, I am a glass house here and it's not even tempered. You know, I, <laughs> I just, I have no place to throw stones and I don't judge it is in the shame cycle and the self-judgment that we get stuck. There's a big confusion out there that shame is solving the problem. What should what are what am I doing to stop my alcohol use? Well, I feel ashamed of myself. That's not going to get you anywhere. What's going to get you somewhere is to learn something, to get the knowledge, to find the grace. Then I find with my clients the biggest hurdle is typically getting past the shame. Because what we think is that if we are no longer ashamed of ourselves, we will never stop drinking. And the truth is, until we let go of that shame, it will always be a will, a battle of wills instead of a battle of desire. Yeah, that that's, I, I agree with you. So I've, I've uh, I'm in, an, in the editing process of my book, conquering bad moods and shame and guilt are two of the eight bad moods of the ego that we must conquer. And there's each bad mood has a lie. And the lie of shame is that, um, or the lie, the lie of guilt is really that if I'm hard on myself, if I punish myself, that that will prevent me from doing more bad things. But all that self-punishment really does is make us feel worse. And then when we feel worse, we do more destructive things. You had said it earlier, the key to change is positive emotion. We yep. all know this, that positive reinforcement is the way that we, you train anybody. It's the way we train ourselves too. So this grace that you're <laughs> yeah. giving yourself, the counting the alcohol-free days being bigger than the, the lesson days, like all of that is positive reinforcement to ourself. I think it's really, really helpful. You know, and I, I you know, as we're, as we're coming to a close on this really important conversation, uh, you know, you had said that there are some red flags that might suggest somebody does have trouble with alcohol. What are some, and I love the way you opened this today. We think that this alcoholic, 
you know, we picture the alcoholic is that 10% person that's fear, you know, fear and loathing in Las Vegas or what that Nicolas Cage movie was in Las Vegas. Yes. What, what was that one called? I don't remember. I think it was fear and loathing. Yeah. Uh, that, that, you know, the just absolute like life crumbling chaos. But the reality is, is that there's a lot of us that struggle with alcohol, me included, that, you know, exercising, great marriage, trying to be the best version of ourselves we can and still struggling with alcohol. So what are some of these red flags that maybe we should have our eyes open to that we may not always see? I That is such an important question. Thank you for that. And I like to bring these up. I'm not trying to panic anybody or be Debbie T. Downer here, but there are some things to notice. And if and you brought one of them up when you talked about your beach holiday. When you thought about not drinking, you thought, oh, that won't be any fun. Well, there's a red flag. If you take alcohol out of an event and you don't think you'll enjoy it, there's a red flag. And I got to tell you, it doesn't get any better. The human body is designed to become addicted to alcohol. It's not our fault but it is our responsibility. It's that dopamine cycle I talked about that is in our human design. And the idea that some people are going to be alcoholics and I am not ever going to suffer that fate because I'm a good person just isn't true. So paying attention to, and how often you're thinking about alcohol, are you, for me, it was by four o'clock in the afternoon, I'm walking my dog and I'm already thinking about having that glass of wine. And that is by design. I'm walking the dog at four so that when I get home, I can have my first glass of wine. And if you start putting rules around it, right? Like, oh, I'm only going to drink on the weekends or I'm only going to drink one glass of wine. At that point that you're setting those rules, you're already in some dissonance in your brain. Part of you knows it's too much. And the subconscious part of you is trying to hang on to it because it fears the change. So those are some, did you have any of those kind of thoughts when you, before you quit? All of them. <laughs> yes. Every one of them. Yeah. That's one a, of my but, favorites. But, but, I, is, I, but I never, I never would have, you know, I wouldn't have classified myself as a person who had problems with alcohol. Because I, my picture of the person who had problems with alcohol was the person who woke up and put vodka in their coffee and hid it from the people they worked right. with. Right. And that is, that's the narrative that drink responsibly narrative that just chaps my hide like nothing else. Like I said, we are designed, physically designed to become addicted to substances, alcohol, pornography, video games, sugar, all these things. And the idea that you can do these things responsibly and never get addicted is so much bull. It is, that is just, and then if you get addicted, you need to feel ashamed because you didn't drink responsibly. That's on you. And what I'm here to say is it's on the substance. Now it is still your responsibility. Nobody else is going to change this for you. It is not your fault, but it is absolutely your responsibility. And I would just say, go to the latest research. 
and do um, Annie Grace has a book out that changed my life, The Naked Mind. She presents a beautiful case of the research. There's other ones, um, Simon Chappelle. Oh, there's another one, How to Stop Drinking in 30 Days. They're using the latest neuroscience and they're using positive emotion to stop. And you can, it doesn't have to be miserable quitting and it can be a life of joy when you're alcohol free. On the other side of it, I do find more joy every week without it. And I <laughs> didn't know that that was going to be the case. I, no one, I didn't have this conversation. I just, was, right. I just was challenged to not fall into a pit of anxiety. <laughs> so right. I didn't know that I was going to actually enjoy the sunset and be able to sit and savor it and not be wishing I was somewhere else. Yes. Oh my gosh, I knew I would love meeting you. Well, I've loved this conversation. And if you're listening and want uh, uh, the free gift that Lily is offering, it's her Find Freedom from Alcohol quiz. It's um, how to overcome alcohol even when you're feeling stuck. You can get that from thegoodmoodshow.com just by signing up for our newsletter or reach out on the contact page. And Lily, I'm sure there's people listening that that are going to want to get in touch and, and maybe even like get coaching from you specifically, how would people get in touch with you? Oh, please do, 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 do get in touch. It is very easy, coachingwithlily.com. I kept it simple. And I offer a free, what I call strategy session where we find out where you are with alcohol. And if I can help you, and if I can't help you, I will help you find the right program that can. So. If it's not me, if I'm not the fit, we'll find the right fit for you. Thank you so much for sharing everything with us today. I am sure that we've made some positive changes for some people listening. Oh, I hope so. And you all just remember, joy is a skill. So if you're not having joy, go out and get that skill. All right. We'll see you later. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Good Mood Show with Matt O'Neill. For free resources, videos, and materials about getting into your best moods, head over to thegoodmoodshow.com. And remember, when you feel like your best self, you are your best self. See you next week. Same time, same place.